Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 37. Surfing is back, and so is our monthly regular today, SVP of Tours and Competition, Pat O'Connell. And for today's episode, we recorded it over a few different sessions at Surf Ranch, where we've just completed the Michelob Ultra Rumble at the Ranch. So today, we're breaking down the news of the moment, which is surfing is back. We'll play the lineup's Time Machine 2014 edition, and we'll answer the listener mailbag. Any and all feedback is welcome, and thank you to everyone who has been rating and reviewing in the iTunes store. It really helps a lot. Okay, please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Pat O'Connell. The good old clap, take one. That's right. (laughs) How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up here, boxing. The lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold is back. Lineup regular Pat O'Connell is back. I'm a, am I officially a regular? I think two makes you a regular. Cool. Well, three technically, because we had you on as a guest. Oh, yeah. We're up here at Surf Ranch. We have moments ago completed the Michelob Ultra Rumble at the Ranch. Pat O'Connell, congratulations. Surfing's back. Cheers, dude. Oh, yeah. So surfing is back. I don't know how long it's been away. Maybe my whole life at this point. <laughs> um, but last Thursday, we had a little bit of a, a prologue. Glimpse. A yeah. glimpse, right? Yep. Because you and I were working on a project with Stab called Surf 100, and that premiered last Thursday, which was a 100-minute edit that was judged by the audience featuring Colohe Andino, Griffin Colapinto, and Ian Crane at Lowers. What were your takeaways from that? Wow. Um, I love judging. I really, really enjoyed like the act of like, watching a wave and sort of comparing it. Like, <clears throat> I think I just, I, I went a little high early. Mm. But I love the interaction of being able to, I mean, look, I would love to see how I scored versus public. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think we all do that. Like, uh, <laughs> we're all judgmental. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was just really cool to watch a wave and, and sort of put everybody in the hot seat. I would love if, like, in future iterations, if it was just truly they had judges' scores that, like, were public. Cause I just, I thought that was really cool. Um, obviously the surfing is great. It was really crowded. It was, it was, uh, I'm not sure it, if it helps the local surfers at Trestles because maybe nobody wants to go there after that. <laughs> maybe it does. <laughs> maybe they all signed up for this. They were like, yeah, no, do that. So yeah, hey, we'll, we'll all be here. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do this. Let's make it look really awful. But it was a hundred minutes that I totally enjoyed. And I just thought the concept was cool. Um, and I thought the surfing was great. How about you? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, the same takeaways that you had. I thought the commentary was awesome. Salema, uh, Taylor, Dane. Um, I thought they were great. Yeah. It was really good stories. And I, it's almost like a hundred minute kind of piece of content like that with live commentary. It's not unlike a podcast where the commentators can kind of get into a groove, tell some stories. They're not all like sound bites, which I, I really, really liked. Um, and the other takeaway that I saw, which I think you and I kind of felt percolating amongst the surfers is just how much pent-up competitiveness yeah. they had which which kind of really manifested this weekend you and i got up here to lamore and i was i was really i was expecting it and then i was kind of still blown away by how competitive everyone was well when we get into what happened this this weekend you know as we were planning dave we we started to think about the rumble on the ranch formats and started to play around with that what quickly came out of that was a desire for the practice day to become more than just a practice day. Um, and a lot of the surfers have sort of taken it on their own ha- in their own hands to sort of create these battles uh, amongst, you know, Brett Simpson in, in uh, Huntington as the USA surfing coach is working with a lot of our surfers, whether it be Kolohe and Ian, a lot of the, like that whole crew and they're doing their own little events just to kind of keep that like sharp competitive atmosphere. And it's kind of like that, that stuff doesn't turn off. And if you actually look at how people are communicating about their experience here on the weekend, it's, it feels so good to put the Jersey on. 
and it and it really did kind of come back to us in we have all these great surfers we need to create multiple opportunities for them to actually get let i i guess scratch that itch if you mm. will one of my favorite things about the gold coast event every year is we have a bit of an off season like one to two months and one of the nice things about it for me just as a surf fan is seeing what people have done in that time to come back and sharpen and this time we've had this really extended off season and i was there were surfers that really blew me away by how prepared they were, how dialed their boards were. And just like this felt like the sharpest surfing I'd ever seen out at Surf Ranch. Who who are some of the standouts for you just across the practice sessions and obviously today at Rumble at the Ranch? So the one that stands out the most is uh, Caroline Marks, 100 percent. And I, I, I'm going to make this a positive, but I'm gonna, I'll start a little bit negative because when I think of COVID and how it have, how it affects some of our surfers, I will say maybe in the most negative way it's affected her, not because of her performance, but what she potentially has lost by losing 2020. Mm. Because I feel like her level is so high right now. And when you, you you ask that, like there's various levels of like, okay, are they ready to compete? And And what you said about the Gold Coast is right. So basically come December, the, the tour ends, you know, end of December. January is a bit of a write-off. February, most of February. And then people start to get going back in March. There was a lot of conversation that I had with the surfers at this event about, hey, what's the reality for Hawaii? We're going, you know. And, and my attitude is, yes, we are going. We are going to run in Hawaii. We want to have a championship tour to start. So they need to kind of work backwards to say, hey, when am I ready? What you saw and what we were just talking about is Caroline looks like she's there already. Felipe, there. You know, I would say Griffin, there. There are a few, like, those are the probably the ones that stood out the most. It's like, if the tour was start tomorrow, I think they're okay. Kolohe, if this tour is start tomorrow, yes. You know, everyone else, I felt like there's work to be done. Well, here's, I totally agree with that assessment. The the two caveats I'd make, two and a half. Yep. Um, Adriano looked so capable. like, And he always has been. It's funny because we were talking about this event site with a bunch of people. And we have a bunch of people that are new at the WSL. And they're like, well, it's his story. I'm like, well, he's 2015 world champion. So it's not Start buried, there. buried yep. the lead. But he is almost one of those guys that is unappreciated because of his trajectory. And he had to shoulder so much... Um, sort of path clearing for the Brazilian storm to come into being that he kind of gets pushed aside sometimes just in people's minds, but he is just radically capable and he was so good up here. Um, and I thought him paired with Carolyn, I was really surprised when they lost, but when they did, it was to Kanoa Igarashi who yeah. went on an absolute heater with his, with his partner, Tatiana Weston Webb. And I think Kanoa is the other one for me where it's interesting because he's so on his own program and he's been um, spending the year in Portugal where he lives, yep. which is kind of away from the mainstream surf media in a way. And he is a CT winner. You know, he's a top 10 surfer. And I just think he's so much sharper than people give him credit for because he's not trading blows with guys at lowers or out at Snapper Rocks. And he's not in everyone's face on in the media, social media or otherwise. And he is just so, so deadly. And I think he's going to continue to do that because I think it plays to his strength. Yeah. And, and the last one I'll say, and I want to hear your opinion on this too, is uh, Kelly. I, I was just going to yeah, say, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I cannot believe, like the first part of our conversation, I just sort of focused on things that sort of were front and center. Yeah, yeah. But Kelly. The, the bench is so deep at the CT right now. And Kelly, for me, he's someone that, I think, honestly, in waves of consequence and barrels, he will be someone that you keep in the conversation probably till he's 200 years old. But kind of the high performance stuff, super duper high performance stuff. And even here, kind of home court advantage at Surf Ranch, because he's been hurt for a couple of years. And I think the extended off season kind of, again, we underestimated how hurt he's been or what injuries he's been carrying, but he's used that time to get healthy. And he was just like punching the wave in the mouth. Like in, a, like in a way I'd never seen. I was blown away. He's looked the, he looked the loosest that I've ever seen. Like, I actually feel like that's the best I've ever seen him surf here specifically. But mm. 
He looked like he could go anywhere. The board he was riding was beautiful. Like it was like, it's crazy because I, I think also like the things that stick out in your mind are probably the things that you see last, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So as our event went today, they did well, but you know, he wasn't in the final. And so, you know, but when I think about the practice waves and, and the stuff that we did yesterday, it was wild how good he was surfing. And, and also just the lines he was drawing were so different because everybody has a bit of a like quote unquote run that mm-hmm. they do here. Kelly's really does feel a little bit more natural. Mm. It's It looks like he just sort of reacts to the moment. It's not like, okay, one, two, three, tube, you know, one, two, three, big turn, fall into the barrel and come out and then do. It's a lot of just sort of natural glide. And it's like, okay, you know, I, I think specifically at this wave, because it goes so fast, what I look at is, are you actually changing directions? Or are you just doing the sort of, there's a bit of a fake turn you can do here. And it's a bit of a karate chop. Mm-hmm. The board actually doesn't change directions. Kelly is actually engaging in the rail and actually changing directions. And that is really hard to do here. You know, Ross Williams, a few years ago when he was on the commentary team, he broke Kelly down for me. Um, we were having drinks one night or dinner, I can't remember. But he said, you know, like Kelly has been so dominant for so long because of three big things. He goes, number one, he qualified ahead of all of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So he qualified and he had to do battle with like Martin Potter and like Wayne Bartholomew. And he kind of absorbed this elder god competitive wisdom. And those guys were really gnarly, like super gnarly. So when everyone his age qualified, he got to use that against them, yourself included. The second part um, is his physiology, because he's just so like pound for pound, so strong and so flexible that he used that to his advantage. And he said, the third one's obviously the talent. He said, but as time's gone on, you know, younger and younger surfers are coming up and they're they're much more into their fitness and their strength and bigger guys like your Jordies and your Owens are no longer handicapped in smaller waves. Yep. He goes so so he's kind of lost the physical component. And he goes the talent thing outside of again like waves of consequence that gap's narrowed and in kind of been inverted in some ways and when you get to kind of progressive surfing. And so he said you know, the only thing that's left is this really like savage competitor and that narrative seemed to fit for a few years and i think as like a surfing world we're all ready to kind of say yeah that makes sense we're gonna we're gonna kind of say yeah he's gonna hold on to that he's gonna be dangerous in these things but yeah these other people are really gonna start challenging him but like today or today's performance last couple days kind of reverses that which which flies in the face of kind of like nature and your gods and whoever it's unbelievable I would I would do a subset under the savage competitor, and that is just competitive, like his brain, his mental attitude towards. You know, he was here late last night watching waves. He breaks them down. Um, him and his teammate Sage today, he was helping her, and he was, you know, getting into why scores are what, like how you ride this wave. The, I mean, his analytical brain is so good that he can break it down. And even when some of those other things, either people catch up or he comes down, that that commitment and that mental sort of how I can win has been hitting the ceiling at all the t- at all times. And so as everything goes, that's stayed. It's pretty unbelievable. I really like the the mixed doubles tag team format. I thought yeah. that was rad. What, what were some of the takeaways you had just from your perspective? I would love, it's funny because we had four hours. We wanted to make it four hours and I like what we did. I feel like we can go way deeper. I would like to split waves. I'd like to maybe do shared waves, the whole wave. Like there's a lot of things you can do with it. And, um, you know, surfing is a pretty selfish pursuit and the way that we've always done it. Um, The beauty of surfing I know, and you and I talked about when I started surfing was, and all of us, is you can do it by yourself. And that's why we love to do it. Doing this is so cool because you're actually rooting for someone else. Mm-hmm. You actually, you can team up and you can pass your knowledge on. I think we can do way more of this. I would love to do it with kids, like where it's like, hey, we're gonna bring in a, a seasoned vet to work with a, a younger surfer because we can pass that knowledge off and you can create little little things like that. And I just, 
I, I really think it's uh, there's a lot to it. The last, that's such a good point. The last time I remember something like that happening was uh, the team format at the Founders Cup. Yep. And it, it is so cool because you just have people that are exchanging knowledge, they're exchanging tactics, they're they're supporting like each other while they're surfing. And, and it's not, oftentimes at the CT, you see a little bit of that between kind of colleagues or countrymen or sort of teammates, but not a ton. It's usually like, I'm focused on my heat and then I leave. Yep. You know, and this was totally different. And one of the rad stories, and that's another one that I forgot up front, was just seeing how well Coco Ho surfed. Yep. And and she was teamed up with Felipe Toledo, and they took the event out. And I thought Coco for me is someone who I, I put her in the the Cansdale space of there's no reason she shouldn't be on tour. She never really surfed bad at all. She surfed re- like top five, top 10 talent pretty much every year. She just had a couple of years, like a protracted, like Cansdale season in which she would be losing with 14, 15, 16 points for kind of no reason. It was just sort of that random thing. And then she, she, she didn't requalify. But, you know, out here today, she proved again that she is a top tier ca- uh, talent um, and I just thought it was extra special considering, you know, a couple of weeks ago we lost her uncle Derek, yep. um, who's a 1993 world champion, uh, Hawaii's first world champion. And it, it's a funny thing. I, I was talking to someone the other day and, and we talked about how in Hawaii you can adopt like the, the community and the cultural vibes there of everyone's an uncle, everyone's an auntie. And it's something I do with my kids, and yep. he, you know, and it's something that a lot of us do because it's such a special thing. And especially with the the Ho'ohana, it's everyone there felt like they knew them because they reached out and made everyone feel like family. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, and, and if anybody had seen, um, there was this moment that um, we did a tribute. Not always did they actually like touch you. Like when that, we, you know, we ran an empty wave with everyone in the water. And like even now I'm saying I get sort of the chills and it was, uh, you know, I, I, was uh I was lucky enough to do the tour with Derek for a period of time and he was classic and he looked out for us and we were younger and he um yeah and I just I you know I was able to take that time to reflect and be like and it wasn't just an arbitrary moment for me personally I actually actually cried a little bit and I was and it was a beautiful moment and then everybody rode uh the next wave together and it was I just thought it was great. And I, um, not always do those things go off and it, they feel real. It actually felt, it was a really touching tribute. I felt anyways. Um, and I thought it was great that Coco was here. She was surrounded by, as you said, that extended family. And I think she surfed amazing. And I, I said the same, I was like, gosh, why is Coco not on tour? She is so good. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 surfing coming back in in the fashion that it did this weekend and and last week as we said um it felt good it felt like this this has been obviously a really hard year for a lot of people on a lot of fronts and it just felt really nice to be up here and see everyone together and and i mean in my personal opinion see the wave surfed better than it's ever been surfed and everyone just really geared up for when the championship tour comes back so between then and now, we have a few more countdown events, right? Yep. Like, so what, what are we looking at? So uh, a couple in Australia. Yep. Um, and and look, everything has a sort of asterisk uh, next to it because of anything can happen with COVID. But and then certainly a couple in Europe, uh, Portugal, and potentially one in France, and one that we're working on in Brazil right now. Those feel like the ones that we know that are kind of in front of us. I I think. Without like going too extreme here, us running an event, uh, knock on wood here, being COVID free is a big thing for us. Um, it's really hard when you stop. It's twice as hard to get up and running again. You can find every reason to say, no, we're not going to do this. So us getting an event under our belt, learning like, hey, what we did right and wrong is a huge step forward to get ready and run by Hawaii. That, that's my opinion. And I think I said this to you earlier today. The best thing about today is I had people texting me about scores and this guy should have got this or this girl should have done that. And it was the first normal conversations I've had in eight months. Yeah. You know, I'm happy when people are unhappy about judging because at the end of the day, that means that we're actually doing something that people are watching and we're not talking about people being sick. 
Yeah, one of the last boxes to tick on the is surfing back is are people pissed off about the judging? There we, you go. And we got there. We got there. One of the really cool things we got to do on the, uh, as you said, it was supposed to be a practice day. The surfers demanded we run like a mock competition because they just, they have their fangs out and they're ready to go, <laughs> was we replicated our WSL finals format at the end of the night where we had uh, the fourth surfer surf against the third surfer and, and, and the winner advance and surf against the second surfer and the winner of that advance and surf against first ranked surfer. And, you know, not to, not to sort of spoil it for anybody, but some of the insights from the surfers who had to kind of mow through the field, especially out here at such a long and demanding wave, um, were like, I hope we never run the WSL finals here because <laughs> I am, my legs are dead. I can't walk and I, I don't want to run into the number one seed. At the, at the very end. Yeah, one of the things that we did learn, and this is a bit putting it out there, but um, we had been discussing heat format here at the Surf Ranch. Um, we have long sort of been digesting the, real, the realization that the leaderboard system where you run for multiple days is impossible to watch. And so what you saw today um, and what we're working on is eight waves is a heat four waves for each surfer, and you get a winner and loser. That was validated in, in the sense of things moved. It was validated last night when we actually did four versus three. That was the first time we'd done heats. And um, I think there's more that we can do with that, but I really thought that that was interesting is it felt like pressure from the beginning and ends quick, and it was like every wave counts, you know, and it, it just had that. So I think... Um, Look, there was a lot of great things from this weekend. That was one of them. I felt like the WSL finals format worked amazing. It was really fun last night. And it was kind of, well, I don't think we run it here for sure. I think they were just like, dude, there's no way. But I did love the insight of having the number one spot matters. And everybody asks, well, what happens if somebody blitz the field? It matters because we saw it last night. People were tired when they get to the end. The more we go to waves that are challenging and they get smashed and they end up at places that they're not able to take a break. You know, when it comes down to it, they have fresh legs. It will make all the difference in the world and everyone's gonna watch, or at least I am. I am too. And before we get to watch, you and I are gonna continue to play the lineup time machine and we recorded this episode's Time Machine a couple days ago, and we're gonna to get to it right after this ad break. All right, so the segment that set the podcasting universe aflame, the lineup Time Machine is back, coming <laughs> to you remotely from the best Western in Lamore, California. Pat, how are you doing in your, in your room? I'm uh, fantastic, Dave. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. So, so we're all here, all the surfers, the skeleton staff, we're in separate rooms. We're drinking by ourselves, coffee or otherwise. Um, it's kind of like the saddest college dorm ever because we can't go outside and see each other. Yeah, I did cheat a little bit this morning, I should say. I woke up at about five and I went for a walk. I did like a mile walk around the place. Just, yeah, that, that really got me thinking that if I can't even do this, I got real problems. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so to recap, the time machine is you and I uh, speculating on how the world title determination would have gone down in previous years with the forthcoming WSL Finals format. So last time we ran through the theoretical 2010 contenders at Selena Cruz, and I think we both determined that Steph Gilmore still probably would have won her title in the new format at Selena Cruz, and that Kelly, he probably still would have won his 10th title, but that there was maybe a sliding doors reality in which Mick Fanning turned on in right-hand points and claimed an extra one. And then if that happens, who knows where we would be in 2020, 10 years later. Yep, that's that's exactly right. And I remember a lot of the conversation was based also on a, what day we chose, right? Like mm. if it was a, you know, a bigger day, smaller day, whatever. And I think that um, that there's always going to be these variables, which actually makes it so much more interesting. So there's uh, all these different layers, I, I should say, um, which makes it really exciting. Totally. So for today's time machine, we're taking the year-end rankings from 2014, and we're running the final five men and women through the WSL Finals format to speculate who would come out on top. 
Um, and we're asking the question, what might have happened if the WSL Finals format was in place back in 2014? So same disclaimers last time. We're obviously aware that all the year-end rankings don't take into account future schedules, formats, judging criteria, mid-season cuts, etc. But we're operating the time machine based off of how those years finished. So first thing first, as you rightly pointed out, Pat, the venue obviously plays a huge role in the final event. But we haven't announced where the venue is going to be for 2021. So you and I last time picked five venues, or four <laughs> venues, excuse me. Um, Very we, scientific, we, by the way. It was, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, it's good. This is just how I, this is how I do things with my kids. Um, and, and those were Lakey Peak, Macaroni's, Trestles, and Selena Cruz. And Selena Cruz got selected. So I asked you for the fourth sub-in, which you gave me Tavarua. So we have those. We have those as scientifically yeah. as uh, possible. And what has traveled with me to Lemoore, which is probably why I'm doing so well by myself in my room, is Joel Parkinson's original world title cup, which is what we use for all major decisions at the WSL. So these are going in the cup. <laughs> <laughs> we know how he's not watching these because he probably would be like, hey, dude. Wh- I need that. <laughs> yeah, where'd that come from? Okay. I love that, so, that maybe- you were driving with that all the way up here. And was that in the passenger seat? Where, where did you, you didn't put it in the trunk, did you? I put it on the steering wheel. This is, this is <laughs> like my guiding light for my career and personal life is this cup. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So I'm not looking. Here we go. Ooh. <laughs> Macaronis. All right. Thank you. you this is you, a heater. This is, yeah. this is. Steered us in the right direction once again. Joel's never getting this back. Wow. Okay. I just looked at the draw and I'm, I, it's wow. Yes. Yes. So, so I thought you pointed out something really good when we played last time, which is the conditions at the venue also impact our, our, our guesses. So as you are the, king of conditions and calls, SVP of tours and competitions. We have the venue, it's Macaroni's. Can you give us a conditions call for our WSL finals game here? Yeah, so here's what I'd like to do. Let me just think about that for a second because Macaroni's is is known as probably the most rippable wave in the planet. It has a steep takeoff barrel that goes for a while. And then a it's, it's almost as much of a wave pool, um, probably has been looked at for building wave pools around the world is the way the wave comes in in the reef. And, you know, it's uh, as identical of a wave as you can get back to back to back. I think we've long talked about having events at Macaroni's and how that would be the best sort of um, platform or um, there's a couple different moods out there. And I'll use sort of from the biggest to the smallest. The biggest is where it almost is whitewatering out the back. And you see those ones of people getting those real late sort of ledgy takeoffs and, and pulling into the barrel and those ones. Uh, and then what happens subsequently is it actually pulls off the reef a little bit and ends up maybe not as rippable. I would like to think we'd get a day a little bit less than that because ultimately where I think where I think this can go is that it needs to be that barrel section out the back, which is critical for your takeoff, your positioning, but then opens up, you know, four to five major maneuvers with an air. And I think that's what we're looking at. So I'm probably saying four to six foot, four to five foot in that range. And yeah. And, and the, and the great thing is at least my experience at macaroni's, it's not so tidal as some of the other places we've looked at in the past. So I think it sort of stays good through, through most tides. So I think we get a full good day out there. That's a really good point. So the contenders at the end of 2014 in reverse order for the women, Malia Manuel, Sally Fitzgibbons, Carissa Moore, Tyler Wright, and Stephanie Gilmore. And then for the men, Michelle Berez, Kelly Slater, John John Florence, Mick Fanning, and Gabriel Medina. Now, I think it's important to call out the sixth surfer on each side and have a quick conversation on whether you think they uh, would have been deadly in this format or not. So the sixth surfer on the women's side was none other than Lakey Peterson. And then the sixth surfer on the men's side was Joel Parkinson. Any initial thoughts? Obviously, they wouldn't have been in the event, but do you think that if they had been in the event, they would have shaken things up? Well, certainly Bianca, um, now we know that it's a left. You know, you look at the women's draw and 
there are no goofy foots. So I think just in point of difference, that would be interesting, but no, I think ultimately this is, um, this is the right thing. And again, cutting it at five is, uh, is the right idea. You know, it's, again, it's, it's, as we do this, we are looking into the past at a format that wasn't existing. So, you know, in the beginning of the year that you need to make the top five. So it makes it sort of, that's your goal. But I do think, again, there's two regular foots that didn't make the cut for, uh, for this particular uh, exercise. It doesn't really matter. There's only one. I mean, if you look at, and this is pretty interesting just across the board, there's only one goofy, uh, one goofy foot in the 10 names that, we've, that we're going to have surfing. That could either be a huge advantage for that one goofy foot, or it could go the exact opposite way. But I do think it's interesting to note, you know, it's an interesting point to note that, yeah, there's only, and, and that one goofy foot happens to be the number one seed on the men's side. So, I, yeah, you know, a, yeah. I was going to say, I think that's a really good point. Um, and especially since we've pulled macaronis, it's, it's particularly interesting. So let's get into it. So match one is going to be the 2014 versions of Malia Manuel and Sally Fitzgibbon. So Pat, who do you think takes out match one on our WSL finals. So I will go, I think if this is on their forehand, I think it's maybe a little bit, uh, I think Malia has a better chance. I think Sally's done real well at Tavarua. Um, I'm going to point to her backhand as being really, really strong. So I think she gets that. Certainly on a right point, I think it would probably be, it's more of a 50-50 battle, but I think Sally gets the upper nod here. Yeah, I I went the same. I went with Sally on match one um, at Macaroni's. Um, I will say, though, that, you know, Malia is so good in reef breaks. Um, I think a function of her growing up on Kauai, you know, this was she's with O'Neill. She's riding Mayhems. She just kind of had like kind of inconsistent years at the start of her career where she'd finish like very high. And then the next year she wouldn't finish as high. And, and some of that was injury related and some of it was otherwise. And Sally was still riding really high as like one of the marquee athletes at Roxy and Red Bull. And she was riding Firewires. And, and like you, I think her uh, performances at places like Tavaro would really lend itself well to, uh, to macaroni. So I gave that yeah. one to her too. Yeah. I think right. really just on that, just the one thing I would say too is, what we're looking for between these surfers is something that gives them either uh, a place to stand out. That's why I brought up goofy foot to regular foot. And, and, and I think it's important as we look through these, um, the, the piece that I see for Sally, but also to think across the board is how can she stand out? I think she can stand out in that particular matchup by getting barreled, uh, which I think she's actually a lot better on her backhand than a lot of the other, the girls in the barrel. And so I think, um, that's just an interesting point to note as we kind of go further down the line. Totally agree. So match two, which is the first match on the men's side, is Michelle Berez, again, 2014 version of Michelle Berez, against the 2014 version of Kelly Slater. Who do you got? Michelle won two events that year. I think he won in Margaret River and he won in Rio. Kelly got that amazing tube, I think, that year in Rio. Um, look, it's always hard to vote against Kelly. You know, it's... Uh, but certainly the, this wave is, is um, a sort of an equaling point. I may take Michelle here. Um, this, is, this, is a, um, you know, this is the highest ranking Michelle has ever had, uh, I think. And I think that uh, he was really, really surfing well. And you know, I think that he might see this as a real big opportunity to kind of make his way through the draw a little bit. Interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into the opportunity point there, but I'm going to go with Kelly. And the reason I'm going with Kelly, because um, I think Michelle's backhand, unquestionably lethal. I think he had a great year in 2014. This was the year that Kelly parted ways with Quicksilver. You know, he was with them for two uh. decades or something like that. In 2010, he won the title, unless he was in the WSL finals debating. Uh, 2011, <laughs> he won the title uh, twice, as it, as it ended up being. In 2012 and 2013, he finished runner-up. In 2014, he parts ways with Quicksilver. So I'm looking at his finals berth uh, in 2014 at Macaroni's is like kind of the Tom Brady fuck you year where he's like, I've got a lot to prove. Like I, I, I'm not going to slip away from the title. He knows that wave so well. He's riding Channel Islands. He doesn't have a sticker on the nose of his board. Like I'm going to give this one to Kelly because I think he's just going to be like out for blood and thinking that this is my chance to get another title. So I, I'm going to give this one to Kelly. So we've, we've, we've disagreed. 
That's good. I, I, That's good. And, 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 and I kind of went for, yeah, I, I took all of those things that you just sent it in into account, but I actually went the opposite way just on Michelle was surging and Kelly was maybe lazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also a fair point, right? Because if you look at Kelly's trajectory after that year, right? Finished fourth in 2014 and then ninth, seventh, and then he was hurt for a couple of years. Like he, he really hasn't been close to the title since it's 2013. You yeah. know? So I kind of, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a totally fair point. Okay. So match three is going to be Carissa Moore coming up against uh, winner of match one, Sally Fitzgibbons. Who do you got? So slightly co- controversial again, I'm going to take Sally uh, for all the reasons that I said against Malia. Again, I think Sally's strong point is her backhand on those reefs. And I think Carissa has done a lot of work on those waves, but I think post-2014. If that happens today, I think I say Carissa, I would say Carissa. I know Carissa works a lot at that particular type of a wave because she's felt that she could improve in those waves. I think if it were 2014, I would go with Sally. Yeah, geez, that's a really good, you've swayed me on this because I initially had Carissa thinking that she had three wins that year, right? Margaret River, Bells Beach, and Maui. But this was also the year that that Sally had the big win in Fiji. And she also won in Rio, like she was, and she got second at um, Trestles, like she was just on fire, second in Qashqai. Yeah, I th- I'm with you. I think I think you're totally right on the read that Maybe after 2014, Carissa's backhand and reef breaks like really takes a quantum leap. But in 2014, I'm going to give it to Sally as well. Yeah. And I think also the wins that Carissa had, you said it was Bells, it was Maui, and it was where else? Oh, um, Carissa, Bells, uh, Margaret River, and Maui. Going right. Yeah. Is my point. And so I, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily kryptonite for Carissa, but I certainly think she is much stronger on her forehand than uh, her backhand. And I think that's Sally's her strong point. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Okay. Match four, John, John Florence up against for you, Michelle Berez. So I'll let you answer yours first. And then for me, Kelly Slater. So who do you got John or Michelle? I just think, um, and this is where I think the beauty of it is. I think this is, if John gets, you know, he's made the top, that top five, I think, you know, uh, his ability is, uh, in these type of waves is so high that I think John gets a win, whether it's over Michelle or over Kelly, even at that point, just, I think this is when he's starting to, to learn. Um, and I would say, yeah, this is, uh, the beginning of that sort of his ascension. And I think he gets a win in, in either of those. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point. So this was the year that he won France and he beat Jaddy out at France on a day that like no one else was surfing on the beach. Like no one wanted a piece of it. Uh, yeah, that was nuts. And he got third. He got third in Portugal. He, he got third in Tahiti. Who did he, yep. he did did he lose to Kelly in Tahiti? Is that that was heat? that perfect heat? That was the one that mm. got tens and nines and crossed the board. So, so you could make an argument that Kelly still had him. Then you could say, or this is payback. You know, that was that heat where I mean, I think Kelly had either two tens or I mean, it was they it both was a had, psycho heat. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was probably the best. I mean, arguably the best heat in professional surfing. Right? That was. It, that it's was absolutely up there. But that's, uh, see, okay, but if I'm, I'm on my current trajectory of Kelly, he's got something to prove. He's in with a chance. He has so much experience at macaronis. His backhand is deadly. And I think somewhere in kind of his unprecedented psychology, he's realizing this may this be is, my last chance. chance to stave off John, you know, and I've got the the upper hand on him from beating him in TD, as you pointed out, it could be like a revenge thing for John and John might really lift to the occasion. I'm going to give it to Kelly. I want to see him. I want to see him mow through one more and, and stave off John one more time before John kind of takes basically ascends, you know, yeah. in, into sort of the title conversation in perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So we're going to take a, a, a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, it will be the thrilling conclusion to this week's time machine. So we're back from match five. We have Tyler Wright, 
up against for both of us in our, in our yep. WSL finals format, Sally Fitzgibbons. Who do you got? Uh, did you give it to Sally too? I did. Yeah, I, I was with you. I, you sold me. I think if I, honestly, <laughs> if I had, if I had answered first, I'd be on Carissa. But I was like, you know what, Pat, he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to go with um, Sally on this. I one. think we should flip our order because I think you should start. And then I'll <laughs> <laughs> <It's right. laughs> uh, so we've got Tyler and Sally. Tyler and Sally. Now, this is a pre this is a pre back to back world title Tyler Wright because this is 2014. Yeah, man, this is a this is a really good one. I my initial reaction just straight up is Tyler gets the win because I think to I think Tyler's great in her forehand. Um, I look at her in these type of waves and I think this is it feels pretty natural for her to ride wave like these type of waves. But I think it's a it's a tight battle. Well, switching the order, you, <laughs> how do you feel? Oh yeah. Geez. I don't know. Like I, she, it's funny, right? Cause her backhand is so, so strong, but I just, I kind of, I kind of give it to Sally in 2014 because I don't think, I think she, her backhand is really strong as well. And she's a sharper competitor and Tyler hadn't quite hit her stride on, you know, I'm a, I'm going to be a back-to-back world title contender. Like she finished runner up 2013, 2014, then fell to fifth in 2016, or sorry, 2015, and then won back-to-back world titles 2016, 2017. And I remember a distinct, like, switch went on when she's like, okay, I've decided I'm going to start winning. I think in 2014, it wasn't quite there yet. And I kind of like the idea of Sally, like, using this opportunity to be like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get closer to the to the cup on this one. So I'm, I'm going to give it to Sally on this. I, I was kind of leaning in the same place. Like, uh, you know, in these situations too, it's, it's a little bit, I look at the, the higher seed is it's like, what is, what would someone have to do to knock them off? So I think I, uh, initially I start with the higher seed as being the one that's going to get the win. But in this particular situation, I do think that Sally's backhand is her strong point. Like if the tour looked like, you know, uh, Uluwatu and a, a lot of these great Tavaruas, a bunch of these lefts, um, I think the tour changes where she becomes the highest seed, right? And so mm. I, I think I'm going to go the same way and say that Sally gets through that and, and is into the grand final. Okay. So match six on the guy's side is Mick Fanning versus, uh, for me, Kelly Slater, but for you, John John Florence. 2014 versions. Who you got? Yeah, I'm going to use my same analogy of just saying, hey, Mick is the seed. So why would it be someone? Uh, why would it be one of the other two? I just think the other two, certainly on their backhand, have a little bit more of that X factor where, you know, John can go above the lip and do something that sort of shatters the scale. I think the scale comes down radically when he comes in the water because you don't know. He might, he might do something that no one's ever seen. And where Kelly is a little bit like that too, he just has that freakish nature. Um, Mick has that as well, but it's a little bit more controlled. So I think, you know, in this scenario, I, I say John gets the win. And I, I think he, to do that though, he's going to, he has to throw a lot of stuff at the, at, you know, he's got to do something spectacular to get through that heat. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, like, you know, Mick Fanning's such an interesting lightning rod for opinion, like throughout his entire career. Right. And I think for a long time, he was almost unfairly pigeonholed as just a forehand guy, but he has like such a good backhand. And I know he worked really hard on that too. Like, and, and he's won out at like places like Tahiti and, and stuff like that. So he's definitely lethal. And in 2014, he was like out of control lethal. He won at Bells. He won at J-Bay. He won in Paniche. Like he was just like three wins in a year is pretty radical. But he also yeah. had, you know, two 13ths and two 25ths. I think for me, since I've got Kelly in this match on, on my sheet, I'm going to keep giving it to Kelly. Um, I do think Kelly's backhand, particularly at, at, in 2014, compared to Mix and his experience out at Macaroni's, is just so deadly. Like, I think he's one of those guys that's just going to find those sneaky ledge barrels and just turn it into, like, a, a real crazy, like, like combination of maneuvers, I think he's going to have a little bit of an edge in terms of like throwing the fins out the back or doing airs on his backhand over Mick. 
Um, and again, I think he's just going to kind of smell blood in a format like this at Macaroni's, and I think he's going to he's going to give it to Mick. And also, I gave it to Mick a little bit last time at uh, Selena Cruz, so I'm going to pay pay back Kelly on this one. So I give it to Kelly. <laughs> All right, so we're down to the finals. Um, the women's finals for the Time Machine 2014 at Macaroni's features none other than Stephanie Gilmore up against Sally Fitzgibbons for both of us. So it's best two out of three. Who do you have taking home the world title in our in our hypothetical here? And, and what is go? the heat makeup? Yeah, how's it go? So mind you, my oh, so the other important thing to note is that Sally at this point would have surfed f- uh, three times already to get to Steph. Yeah, so I think that plays a huge part in it, Dave, because I certainly don't. I see Sally winning at least one, if not two, of these. I, I could argue that she wins because I think again, going on the backhand conversation that's her strong point. I think that's where Stephanie has, has the most to prove. That being said, Sally has surfed. Uh, this will be her fourth heat. Is that right? One, two, three. This will be her fourth heat, just her first one of the final. I think she gets burnt out potentially. Um, you know, she's, Sally's a pretty fit character. Um, I certainly don't think it's a, uh, anyone just runs the, the gamut. I think Stephanie probably gets the first one because I think there's a little bit of fatigue. Sally finds her way back in, in round two, but then ultimately Stephanie gets the win. And I think it's based more on just the amount of heats. That's will be what? Seven heats. One, two, three, four, five, six. You gotta be seven heats that um, Sally has to surf in. You know, you talk to anyone and, and I think this is a, a funny one for people who don't compete the a 30 minute heat feels like a two hour surf. Um, just the adrenaline and the situation, you know, you're constantly thinking, uh, every inch is a mile in a heat, you know, positioning is so important. Everything is, is, uh, working at overtime. It sounds funny. It's like seven heats. Well, you don't serve seven heats typically in most, like, I mean, a big day, uh, the way the current format is you surf maybe two or three heats a day. This is seven heats a day for her to for her to win in this thing. I just I think fatigue takes over and Stephanie gets to win. Yeah, and it's it's kind of similar to Mick in that Steph is another one that's been pigeonholed as like over the course of her career is like you know can't win on her backhand even though she has you know she's won at like in Peru and she's won at Taranaki and like other places like that. I do think that that's something Steph is cognizant of as well, and she works very hard to develop her backhand. I do think that the venue plays such a role here. I think the fitness thing's important. I think out of anyone on the, probably on the men's or women's side, Sally's maybe the fittest person in terms of endurance. Um, She's an absolute machine. So I think that plays less of an issue for her than it would pretty much anyone else in this format. I would almost say that I'm going to give it to Sally with Sally winning the first heat, Steph winning the second heat, and then Sally coming back and winning the third heat and taking her first world title. I do think the venue plays a huge role in that. Like, I honestly, even on the backhand, if it were at somewhere like cloud break and like solid, like eight to 10 foot cloud break, the canvas there for big turns for someone like Steph, who's much taller, is becomes an advantage for her. But I think at a place like Macaroni's and the conditions we've outlined, the pocket's just tighter. And I think Sally, specifically in her 2014 form, would have an advantage. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference there. I'm going to go with Sally and, and give her a world title in 2014. Yeah, I would, the, the one thing I'll back you up on that conversation though, is that the Sally is the most fit person. She would be able to endure that more than probably anyone else. I also think because Macaroni's is a pretty tight lineup, it, the endurance of getting from point A to Z and back is not so heavy where Cloudbreak is a big lineup. You know, it's kind of like surfing Sunset Beach. If you surf seven heats at sunset in a day, you would be just like, stick a fork in me, I'm done, right? But macaroni is, you're not duck diving. You're, you know, it's pretty much just a treadmill back into the lineup. So, but I, I, I think all the arguments are good. I think it's a good, I think it's a good battle. And uh, I think we can respectfully uh, disagree with the final result. Well, it's nothing but respect on this <laughs> All right, so, so on, on that topic... The men's final is as 2014, Gabriel Medina, no Brazilian male ever won the world title, or no, no Brazilian anything has ever won the world title. Um, no South American male has ever won the world title at this point. 
up against for you an also titleless John John Florence, and for me an eleven-time world champion in Kelly Slater. Best two out of three macaronis. How's it go? I think it's a fireworks, man. I just think it's it's a uh, for all surf fans. I think this is what they want to see. I mean, I this is this is it. Two out of three. I just know how much of a beast Gabriel is. Um, he's one of the most polarizing people in our sport, but he is an absolute beast, and that's why we love it. I think I think he beats John. Uh, that's my final. Um, I think he gets John at Macaroni's. I, I think that the wave Macaroni's offers uh, something to a goofy foot that it does a little bit different to a regular foot where regular foots can be uh, somewhat, you can get into a rhythm and it's real easy, but it's hard to sort of break that rhythm where I think Gabriel can surf way out of the box there. I mean, he can literally just, I think he used it as a skate, skate ramp and he just flies around the entire time and uh, does crazy stuff. So I think it will be the most entertaining three heats, but I think he gets the win. What's the order? Who, who wins which heats? Um, I think he wins the first and last and, and John sneaks one in the center. That's how I think. I like it. I too am giving it to Gabrielle and I, and I, but I'll say this, like I, so Kelly, Kelly's having the same challenge that Sally would, right? For me anyway, because he's already served three times. He served against Michelle, John and Mick just to get to this final against Gabrielle. I do think that Gabrielle at that part of his career, you know, pre-world title, he's still very young. I think he's 20 at this point. I think he comes into the lineup cold. I think Kelly wins the first heat. And mm. I think everyone starts freaking out that like Vader's back. He's going to win his 12th world title. Watch this. And then Gabrielle is just going to catch fire and like really wax him in the second two heats. And we're all just going to be like jaws on the ground and going like, holy crap, how did this kid beat Kelly? Like, yeah. In two, you know, when Kelly had the the jump on him, but I, I'm totally with you. I think that he him on his forehand at a place like Macaroni's is is maybe unbeatable. I mean, unbeatable Could in 2014. Be. Like, and now, like, I don't I don't know how you beat him. No, I also think you know the the um, I, I like what you said about the the sequencing. One of the things that I've noticed about Gabriel, and I think our fans have noticed that he is the most cutthroat competitor I've ever seen. And he, he's unshakable. And so I think he enters the water with such a focus that I, I, my concern is less about how, uh, whether he wins or loses, or if he just blitzes and if Mm -hmm. he wins straight up, just because I don't see, he's not the guy to leave. Uh, Like I think of, you know, um, he loves soccer. He's obviously very good friends with uh, Neymar and them. And I think of the Brazil national team up five to zero or something, and they're still trying to score. Gabriel is that guy. Like he is not going to give an inch. He can be comboing whoever surfer and still sitting one inch from them and making sure that they don't get a wave. I just, I don't know if we've ever seen anybody quite as competitive uh, Kelly's obviously competitive, but more in the mindset mm. where Gabriel is physically competitive um, from the very get-go. Totally. And I mean, it, he he made an impact from the time he made it onto the tour, right? He made it on at the mid-year rotation in 2011, and he won two out of five events in France and San Francisco. And I think he was 18, 17, maybe. Like, he was just a kid. Uh, he still is just a kid. But 2014 was such a breakout year for him. He won the first event in that, like, you know, controversial final against Joel Parkinson when, you know, there was a big sort of uproar over Joel surfing the wave from kind of behind the rock and getting barreled and surfing all the way down the point and Gabrielle kind of picking up the meteor um, waves and hammering them on his backhand kind of like three quarters, three quarters of the wave. Right. So he won that to set the tone for the year. He won like in amazing conditions in Fiji and Tahiti, you know, both forehand waves. So like his confidence was so high already. And then he ended up winning the world title that year at pipe. Um, and then going back out and facing Julian Wilson in the final, Julian won the final, but he finished second at pipe. So Again, I think just on his forehand, and I think everything you said about him, psychologically, talent-wise, and physically as a competitor, like he's just so unshakable. And I think we had started to realize that in 2014, but it was such a huge year anyway for kind of global surfing with the first South American male and the first Brazilian 
uh, to win the world title. Like it was such a huge shift that really cemented the Brazilian Storm's arrival on the global surfing scene. And and I I honestly think like we still don't appreciate how impactful that was. But 2014 was such a major year in a lot of ways for surfing. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, I love these conversations, Dave, because I just um, as surf fans, it really opens up. It brings us back to those times, but it also makes us sort of relitigate um, and and with the added importance of a wave and conditions, what that final would be like. Because it ultimately we're taking everybody's strengths and weaknesses and sort of boiling it into a moment that sort of culminates everything from the year, which. Uh, and from the time, because we're also going back and looking, you know, I think the place where you and I saw things a little bit different uh, in this iteration was where Kelly was potentially going, right? Is this his time to say, hey, fuck you, I'm going to, this is my my run through, or am I respectfully just kind of like, I'm here, but I'm going to bow, I'm, I'm not in the same place I had been the 11 times before. I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting. I... I I wish this would have happened. <laughs> I, I wish we, I wish this actually happened. I wish this moment happened where we could be like, Holy crap. Did you see this? Cause it's just, it's exciting as we go um, and ponder what would have happened. It's going to happen. It'll start happening next year. And, and as soon as it does, I guess the time machine's over, but until then we get to do these and, and it's super fun. So we still have time. So we'll do, we'll do a few more of these, but thanks for that, Pat. That was, that was super fun. Thanks Dave. Before we go today, um, we've got our, our fan mail. Uh, we got a bunch of questions that came through, so we're going to take those back and forth, and uh, we'll close it out. All right, so that was the time machine. We're back in present day now. We're back to the future. We're back at Surf Ranch, and before we go, we're going to get to the mailbag segment. So thank you to everyone that continues to send us messages. We answer all the ones we can. Uh, you can find us at the lineup pod on Instagram. So Pat... The first question is for you. It is from Sully Ray one two three, and they ask if you could bring back any surfer, not currently on tour, to be in the fifth place on WSL Finals Day, to bet your house on them to win the world title, who would that be? Okay, gosh, betting my house. So I'm actually involved in this. It's not just a random. I'm actually putting my own house. You're involved. Janet's involved. Nathan's involved. Well, I'm gonna have to say myself. <laughs> if I'm involved, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I won't have any chance. But at least I can root for myself. No, um, geez, that's a really, really, really good question. I just look. I go into this thing, and and now this is going a little bit into the past. But I just have to go with this sort of freak set of talent, and I'm gonna go with two people that are going to be it's i'm going to go with dane reynolds or bruce irons and i'm going to say it's hopefully going to be at a wave that's going to barrel if it's bruce and it's going to be somewhere that dane can just do crazy stuff i'm going to be there to coach them though okay yeah i'm going to was that their problem on tour is you weren't there to coach them i'm not sure but it, if my house is on the line i'm literally <laughs> going to be sitting with them and feeding them like everything that they need to do okay okay interesting Yes, I want. What, I, what, I will be actively involved. Is what I'm saying. All right, on the women's side. I mean, it's so hard because I love Lisa Anderson, and I just have such a great relationship with her. I'm just going to say Lisa, even though she won a bunch. Maybe she would have won again. That's a good. And one. she won a bunch of events riding my boards. We used to travel together, and she would, if she didn't like her board, she'd grab mine and she'd win. Interesting. She won more events on my boards than I ever won, which doesn't say a lot for me. That's interesting. I would go with Andy Irons, be my guy. But he's already won a bunch. That was an easy answer. Yeah, but I feel like if he's in fifth, he's just going to be the most psychologically terrifying person for the he other is. four. Yeah, good point. Depends on the spot and the year, obviously. 2004, Andy Irons. Although 2006 was like campaign two. So. And what about, what about on the women's side? That's a hard one. Chelsea Hedges. Yeah. Chelsea Hedges. I think I think she's one that's like she's so talented. She was really talented. She is really talented. Yeah. Good question. Good question. That was a hard question. Okay. What do you got for me? Um. Okay, Dave. This is from Storm and <laughs> Storm and Norman. Storm and Norman six. Uh, presumably, there's a one, two, three, four, five. So he's at Storm least, yeah. yeah. He's Storm and Norman six. 
Are the men and women scored the same for the Rumble the Ranch, um, or is it scoring gender base? It, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way: I, just in general, the scoring at Rumble and the Ranch is the same as any venue on tour, um, and you can back me up. It's the same criteria, and the criteria is uh, designed to bring out the very best surfing in all conditions. So the criteria can flex depending on the day, depending on the conditions, etc. And it's also set against the competitive field, right? So a men's CT field has a scale that is set against the performance capability of the men's CT field, which would be different from the men's uh, pro junior field, right? Which would also be different from the women's QS field, which would then, again, be different from the, the women's CT and, field. So exactly, yep. the, the men and women don't compete against each other. Um, and it's an interesting question because this is a mixed doubles. But the women were competing against the women, so that scale was for the women, and then the men were uh, competing against the men, so that scale was for the men. Oh, that was a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good answer. Uh, this next one is, uh, the call is coming from inside the house. Jess Miley Dyer <laughs> asks, why does Pat wear a scarf 24-7? Um, I don't like my neck. <laughs> is, this a, is this a recent phenomenon, or is this long-term? I have no answer. I, <laughs> my wife asked the same. I it's just, functional. It 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 started as function, um, and now it's just comfort. Is it is that actually called a shemag or is it a scarf? Um, I don't. It's it's sort of a like up here mm -hmm. in Lamar. It's wet and it cools my neck down. If it's cold, it actually keeps me warm. The reason I ask is because I own a few, and mm -hmm. the reason I own them is because before you came to the WSL, you were up here as a Hurley executive, and you wore them, and I'm like, that's the smartest thing I've seen anyone do. I have Anywhere tropical we go for work, I put it on. Mosquitoes, UV rays, heat, people I don't want to talk to, ideal. You know, it's um, I've tried a lot of fashion things that have never caught on. This is one that should, because, <laughs> It actually, you can pull it over your head and you can be totally antisocial, which is things that I like to do at periods of time. And you just chuck it over your head and they're like, oh, he's real busy. Yeah. Yeah. He just, yeah, he's closed the doors. That's a good answer. Thank you. Um, okay, Dave, I have another one for you. <laughs> it's going to take me a second because this uh, silly phone. Okay. Joel Cooper, 85, says, Dave, will the ratings leader get some credit or award or anything before the world title showdown. So in other words, mm -hmm. if a male or female has blitzed the field, mm -hmm. what do we do to honor them? Well, I mean, aside from the love and adoration of being the number one ranked surfer after the championship tour events leading up to the WSL finals and the prize money and media exposure associated with that, I think the award is something that almost played out this weekend when we saw both number one seeds in our WSL finals uh, mock run the other night take down the challengers because that person is then automatically sealed, uh, sorry, uh, seeded into a best two out of three final for the world title. Um, and I mean, we kind of like theoretically were thinking, sounds right, seems like it's going to be right. The fact that it played out that way and it was so advantageous, makes all the sense in the world. I cannot wait to see this in practice. But yeah, for sure. I think if someone blitzes the championship tour, they're going to be in such a good position to win the world title, and they would have had just a hell run through the season already. So I think it's good. Yeah, I agree. All right, Pat, and the final question for this week's mailbag comes from Captain Robbie C. And they ask, don't you think pipe should be considered for the world title surf off? Yeah, Robbie C., that's a great question. I think a really important one because most people sort of ask the same thing. Mm. Uh, Dave, you and I both know how long we battled over that particular decision. I think the de decision-making process was built around an idea of what time of year do we want to finish and how many good waves and different possibilities could we create. Um, and so when we looked at sort of August, September, middle of summer in South, you know, in America, we really started to fall into this, like, there are multiple options to run a fair world title event at that time, at that time of year. Yeah, I think that's, that's 
definitely the number one answer, right? Because it is, we are accustomed to seeing pipe finish the season. We love these big, bad, treacherous events, whether it's like maxing cloud break or chopu or pipeline. But I think the number one thing is to make sure that we have access to world-class waves and multiple world-class waves in that time frame. And that August, September window gives us the best chance for that. The second thing that's come up too is that all those waves are going to be on tour. Uh, these really serious, treacherous waves, waves of consequence. So the surfers are going to have to surf through those waves to qualify for the WSL finals. The venues that have come up in conversation, and we haven't decided on where we're going, there's a, there's a discussion on, do you want a venue where the ocean's going to decide who wins the world title? Or, or do you want one where it's performance? And most of the surfers we talk to are on the on the side of, it should be the performance. You have to prove yourself in the ocean to get to this point. Now it's up to you. I would add one other piece of that. Um, so I was lucky enough to do the tour for a long time, for 10 years, whatever it was. Um, by the time we got to Pipeline, you didn't always need that result. Um, there's been years in, I'll say, John John in 2016, had one in Portugal. Uh, last year, Gabriel, had he, uh, had he not had that interference with Kayo, and certainly the year before, where he lost it low in the semi, it, it's we're one heat away, a lot of times from pipeline not even being a deciding factor for anything. Mm. I could actually make an argument, and whether people like this argument or not, I can make the argument that pipeline is more important as the first event mm. than it is the last event. It is, uh, it is so important to get a good start. Everybody needs the first event. Not everybody needs the last event. And um, that was part of the process is we started to go through it. It's like we actually put more weight on the belt uh, for pipe than we did if we just held it to the end. Yeah. Which is, again, that is the argument. Everybody's going to have their different feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's true. When those surfers show up, they grab their jersey, they know this is one of 10 events that they're going to surf and that they need to do whatever it is to make it, it's way more cutthroat than it was before. I'm a big fan. I, th I think you're totally right. That's It becomes increasingly more consequential and it sets the pace for the season at the spiritual home for surfing. So I'm all for it. Pat O'Connell, it's another lineup, buddy. Dave Proden, I'm a regular. Hey, I'll see you next month. <laughs> Later, Rob. <laughs> So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold Conversation with lineup regular Pat O'Connell. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed the return of live surfing this week with the Michelob Ultra Rumble at the Ranch and Stab's Surf 100 last Thursday. More to come on both fronts. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them, and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.